Tim, just slinging the ball around. Oh yeah, it's Tim Couch. That man is jacked, and that's a fact. Hell of a quarterback. Oh yeah, it's Tim Couch. Listen up, everybody knows. This is how the story goes. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. This is Kevin along with Raleigh. And when our powers combine, we become the, the Dogs, Dogs of War podcast. podcast. We're getting better at it. That, but whatever. More, yeah, we got to practice a little bit more. Big week, big episode. Happy Tim Couch week to all. Raleigh, happy Tim Couch week to you. How's it been so far? Uh, day two of Tim Couch week is just great. We're going to make it a reoccurring thing. Let's mark the calendar. Tim Couch Week officially started yesterday, Monday. May 18th is Tim Couch Day. May 18th is Tim Couch Day, the first day of Tim Couch Week. If you haven't figured it out by now, by the title of the episode or this, we have an interview with the one and only former number one overall pick in 1999 to the new Cleveland Browns restart franchise, Tim Couch. Tim Couch, coolest dude in the world. Um... I would say he's an incredibly misunderstood player. He just happened to get drafted by the buzzsaw that is the Cleveland Browns 1999 expansion team. I mean, just an all-around unbelievably nice guy. He's got a lot going on right now. He's involved in a ton. We ask him a lot of questions and hear a lot about coming into the league in 99, the lack of an offensive line in front of him. A lot of questions that all of you asked us to ask, especially how did he get so jacked? Since retiring from football, he's bigger than a linebacker now. Felt like a Greek god. So without further ado, what do you say, Raleigh? We want to queue it up and send him over to Kentucky to talk to Mr. Couch? Let's make it happen, Kevin. Tim Couch week! Oh, yes, Tim Couch. He's mighty, mighty, just slinging the ball around. We now welcome on... The pride of Hyden, Kentucky. The 1995 Kentucky Mr. Football, where as a quarterback at Leslie County High School, set all sorts of national records. Most pass completions, passing yards, touchdown passes, and passing percentage, to name a few. Who was ranked by ESPN as the sixth best high school athlete ever after his senior year, and still has his name plastered all over high school record books in both football and basketball who went on to ignite the football program at the University of Kentucky, beating number 20-ranked Alabama one year, and then the year after, number 21-ranked LSU. A man who still holds a boatload of UK and SEC records, including the SEC record for most offensive yards in a season, which stood for nine years until a chump named Tim Tebow broke it in 2007. And the record for most passing yards in the SEC until some bum named Joe Burrow broke it last year. A man with the resume that every man dreams of having from the time they're young to the time they're 90 years old, being the number one overall NFL draft pick and marrying a Playboy Playmate of the Year. A top three (laughs) jersey every year in the Muni lot, Cleveland Browns legend, the one and only Tim Couch. Mr. Couch, how are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing, man? It's good to be on here with you guys. 
Mr. Couch, it's an honor. Al is the Couch Family Quarantine Bunker. What's the typical day for lockdown with you and yours? Uh, everybody's good, man. Kids are getting a little bored right now, though. You know, just stuck in the house, um, missing out on, uh, you know, on sports and stuff. My youngest was supposed to be playing baseball right now, so he's been missing out on that. Uh, you know, missing their friends, typical stuff. But, you know, just doing the homeschooling thing. Uh, just trying to keep them entertained, man. Just uh, just trying to get through this, and you know, I'm glad it's almost over, and we can uh, you know start getting back to a little bit of uh, normalcy and get the kids out the door and get them back into sports and uh, you know go out and do the things we uh, that we're accustomed to doing. Amen to that. I got a lot of DMs of questions to ask you, and the most popular by far, everyone wants to know. How are you the size of a linebacker now? I mean, you are <laughs> jacked compared to your size well, in well, that's every Even like my family and friends, I said, what should I ask TC2? And they go, find out how he's so jacked now. Oh, that's hilarious. You know, honestly, it's about being, uh, I got a lot of free time on my hands since I retired. <laughs> so I just, I, so I got, I was always into fitness and, you know, working out even when I was playing, but I didn't want to be this, you know, big because I thought it would, you know, tighten up my throwing motion and, get, you know, kind of, you know, halter my, my throwing movement, you know, my arm movement and stuff like that. So once I got done playing, um, I was just like, screw it, man. I'm just going to start lifting heavy and getting big as I want to get. And, um, you know, I'm really about, I'm only about 10 pounds bigger than I was. I played at about 230. I'm like, you know, 235, 240 um, right now. Um, but, you know, really just um, just changed the way I train, uh, my, you know, the mindset. You know, when I was playing, I was training to be a quarterback, and it was all about flexibility and, you know, that kind of stuff, durability. And now it's just like, uh, I'm just trying to build muscle and, uh, you know, just, just, just trying to, you know, just, just trying to gain size and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's something I've enjoyed doing. It's, it's fun. It's, it keeps me busy. If you can see on my wall behind me here, for those of you that you guys can't see raw video here, I have the, the SI cover. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I see it. You look twice the size of this guy on the SI cover right here. Now. <laughs> you sure it's only 10 pounds? It's only ten pounds, yeah, yeah. I played it right around two thirty. Um, you know, it's, so it's it's just I guess it's just a different ten pounds. It's more of a you know uh, more of a muscular ten pounds, but uh, you know it's uh, it's not it's not too different. You know, I just you know like I said, just changed the way I work out and you know kind of the mindset going into it. Yeah, the best comment I received was you could do a podcast episode for every group of his, every muscle group he has. But <laughs> so for those of us that are trying to get in shape for a wedding that may or may not happen during week four against the Cowboys, which I'm still bitter about that timing. Do you have any fitness tips on how to build your body like a Greek god? Uh, you know, really, it's all about diet. You know, that's what I've kind of, you know, learned and just working with, with the trainers that I've had an opportunity to work with, strength coaches that I worked with in the NFL. It's just, you know, it's really about what, what you're putting into your body. And then, you know, the workouts, you know, I just try to make it fun, man. I just try to do what, uh, you know, just try, try to be balanced, try to build, uh, you know, from the ground up, you know, make sure I'm getting, the, you know, not cheating on the leg days, getting those <laughs> leg workouts in. You know, and then as far as cardio goes, man, I just do, uh, I, I do the Peloton uh, bike a lot. I really like riding that thing because I, I've got a bad back. I just I actually just had a, a really bad, uh, a major back surgery about uh, about five months ago. I had a fusion surgery, had L3, L4, L5 fused together and a torn ligament in my back. So I was down. I couldn't even walk for like a month or so. I was on a walker trying to get around. So I'm just kind of getting back into it. So I had to change up my cardio. can't really run and do sprints and stuff like I used to do. So the bike is good for me because it takes the pressure off my back. But really, man, just diet and uh, just uh, consistency, you know, just staying consistent to the training program and, uh, you know, just have goals and just trying to work towards it. you heard it here first tim couch is not skip leg day Very important. <laughs> that's right so outside of broadcasting on fox sports south you know i know you're on scc gridiron live and the whole having a wife and family thing what do you like to do to fill your time especially in the off season when there's no football going on i play a lot of golf um 
you know, well, especially before my back surgery, but, uh, you know, I'm getting back into it now. I actually just started hitting balls about two weeks ago and getting back out on the driving range and those kind of things. Um, but I, I love playing golf. Um, I have some business interests here in, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, where I live. My brother and I, uh, we own a wealth management company here in town. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, invested in uh, several different things, some hotels and shopping centers and all kinds of stuff like that that uh, just kind of keep me busy. Um, you know, mo mostly, you know, really just golf and my kids. You know, I got two boys that are, I got a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old and, you know, they keep me, they keep me super busy getting them across town to their practices and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, you know, I, I stay busy, but, um, you know, mostly just try to, try to, you know, golf and working out and spending time with the kids. We got an audible here. Last week, Kevin in milwaukee was playing uh, have you played in quarantine yet no uh, i haven't so they have like these different setups for the cups so that you avoid contact uh yeah, there's like yeah. an elevated cup they essentially right. act as a pool bump or like a bumper that counts yeah. if you hit it kevin had a hole in one well we don't know that's the debate <laughs> love to hear your thoughts <laughs> so, right, hey, we, if it's me i'm counting it man all right that's what it's half and half you know i was at a part three I hit a nice little seven iron rolled up didn't, you know, drill it going 100 miles an hour. You know, rolled up a little bounce and came back about five feet. So yeah. USGA rules say it's a hole-in-one right now with the quarantine stuff. But I don't know. It's not It's not pure enough for me to count it yet. <laughs> I hear you. That's tough. It's a tough decision. But, uh, you know, if they say that's what the rules are right now, I'd, I'd go with it, man. Tim Couch it. says it's in. It's in. Uh, you, heard it here, you heard it here first. So need, needless to say, Mr. Couch, you have not fallen into that, the statistic of, you know, a large percentage of people lose all their money after they retire from the NFL. So glad to see yeah. you're doing uh, very well out here, clearly. So I want to talk a little bit more about, before we get into the Browns career, your time at UK. You know, you put a huge spark, to say the least, in that football program. You had some incredible performances. Prior to shattering all those records we talked about before you had that great career, you were splitting the starting role with another QB named Billy Jack Haskins. So my question to you is, did you ever consider quitting football when you were splitting snaps <laughs> with someone named Billy Jack Haskins? That's a good question. Um, no, no, I did. You know, Billy Jack was, uh, he, he was, he was uh, I think he was a senior when I got there when I was a freshman. Uh, so he was kind of already established as a starting quarterback, and they were actually running the option. It was more of an option-style offense. Uh, you know, when I signed there, uh, Bill Curry was the head coach, and he told me, you know, we'll change the entire offense for you. We'll put in this spread system, let you do your thing, you know, what I was, what I was doing in high school. So I get to campus, man, and uh, first thing they do is put in the option. I'm like, oh, shit, man, this is going to be a struggle. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not an option quarterback. You guys have seen me play. I, I was not an option guy. Um, so, so I was sitting on the bench my freshman year. I, I think I made one start, maybe two, something like that. Uh, and, and then um, the coach got fired halfway through the season, actually, and that's when they brought in Hal Mummy and Mike Leach as the offensive coordinator. And, you know, they put the spread system in for me, and we started running that air raid system, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. You got to knock off the number 20 Alabama, number 21 LSU, back-to-back -back years. Not too shabby. Yeah. For those of you that don't know how an NFL expansion team works, including us. It's a lot of veteran players from different teams, a bunch of rookies thrown into a brand new franchise with a brand new owner and a brand new coaching staff. 1999, everyone, it's their first year as a Cleveland Brown. So that being said, can you talk about the locker room dynamic in 1999? Like no one was there the year before. How did people yeah. fall in line? What was that locker room like? Who were the leaders? You know, it was uh, we, we did have some good veteran guys on, on that team that had uh, you know uh, Orlando Brown, Big Zeus. You guys remember him? <laughs> oh, uh, he yeah. Came over, uh, he, he was with the original Browns, then went to Baltimore, and then came back to the Browns. Uh, so he was uh, he was my right tackle. He was uh, you know obviously a big presence in the locker room. Jameer Miller, 
the linebacker that we had, uh, I think we had signed from, I believe, Arizona he was with. So we, Corey Fuller, uh, defensive back who had been in the league for several years, uh, Ty Detmer, uh, who was, uh, you know, the quarterback at also in, uh, in 99. Um, so we, we had some good leadership in the room, but it was, it was different. Like you said, man, coming, everybody coming together and everybody the year before was on a different team, you know, then obviously from the, from the draft, uh, just trying to put all that together. And, uh, it was a struggle that first year. It was, that was, that was a very, very tough year. You know, the plan was for me to sit that entire season and learn behind, uh, Ty, who had been in the league 10 or 12 years or so. And that went out the window after the first game when Pittsburgh blew us out in the open, in the opening game of the new stadium. And I started week two, uh, as a rookie and, uh, you know, went on to start the rest of that season. But it was, uh, it was the struggles, you know, starting that, uh, starting the organization from the ground up and being part of it. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly proud of, you know, us making the playoffs four years later and from where we started in 99 to getting to getting that team to the playoffs in four years. Hell yeah. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that you essentially got dropped on Normandy Beach. <laughs> I mean, the quarterback is traditionally the leadership role. What's it like being a, were you 21 when you came on? I the think I, I turned 21 in training camp. I turned yeah. 21 in training camp, and now <laughs> yeah. you're expected to lead grown men in the National Football League. Like, is that you know, intimidating or what? That's a great question. I think that was probably the biggest um, adjustment for me, you know, just walking into the huddle with, you know, grown men. Like you said, I'm in the huddle. You know, I'm used to playing with guys that are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And you walk into the huddle and there's guys in there 30, 35 years old with families and, <laughs> you know, they've been in the league for 10 or 12 years. So it's, it's certainly intimidating, um, you know, because I, I've watched, you know, a lot of these guys play on TV. Now you're on the field competing against them and playing with them. Um, so, so that was, that was a big adjustment. And I just kind of had to, you know, accept that role as a quarterback. You're kind of naturally the leader, you know, just by position and because you touch the ball every play and you're, you know, making all the calls and stuff like that. So uh, I just had to accept that role and embrace it, but it was an adjustment for me when I first got to, got to the NFL for sure. So you had your first beer ever in Berea, Ohio is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, just water and Gatorade in college, you know, just typical college. (laughs) (laughs) I I respect that. Do you have an all-time favorite teammate? Ooh, all-time favorite teammate. Um, you know, Ty Detmer was would certainly be one of them. Ty was hilarious, a great guy, and 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 super smart. Um, you know, he was he was with Brett Favre uh, when Favre first got to Green Bay, and you know, so he had some great experiences with you know young quarterbacks coming into the league and helping kind of groom them and teach them the game. Uh, so Ty would have been one. Uh, Corey Fuller was a great teammate. Um, you know, just uh, he was a you know. He put a lot of confidence in me, and you know, even when things would go bad during that you know first year, obviously starting as a rookie, there were a lot of ups and downs. And every time I get down on myself, Corey would kind of be that guy in the locker room, come pick me up, and you know, but you know, kind of let me know that everyone still believed in me. They're they're with me no matter what. And it's you know, it's going to be a learning process for us all. Uh, so I had some good teammates, man, but those, those two really stick out. Were there any legendary locker room pranks that you either executed or witnessed? We asked this to Dawson too, so we got to ask you as well. Yeah, we, we had some pranksters in that locker room. Uh, Ty being one of them, um, I, I, the one that stands out to me the most, there, there, it was so long ago, it's, it's hard to remember them all, but I, um, I, the one I remember the most because it was such a big day for me is like our first practice, uh, my first mini camp after I got drafted. I get there and obviously I'm doing a bunch of media stuff before practice and they're all surrounded, my, uh, you know, my locker and I'm kind of, you know, like, hey, I got to go, got to go get out on the field. So I turn around in my locker and try to get my jersey and it wasn't there. So I'm panicking, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be late for my first practice. So Ty, as I was doing the interviews, he had snuck in behind me, took my jersey, put it in the cold tub, and then threw it in the freezer in the locker room. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, where's my jersey? So he's like, it's in, go, go check in the training room. So I go in the training room, 
and I get in there and pull my jersey out of the freezer, and it's like a block of ice. So I'm having to crack it open, put it on soaking wet, run out on the field, like barely make it on time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Welcome to the read, rookie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so there were a bunch of little, uh, you know, things like that going on all the time about every day. Guys were pulling pranks in the locker room, man. Is, uh, but, but that one certainly sticks out because it was my first day and, you know, my first practice. That is cold. Wheezy laugh. Dawson told us a story about how he buried someone's car with a snowplow once outside the locker room because he was running his mouth and they filmed it and then brought it into uh, – to film the next day at the video of it. I guess it was a, was it a punter or maybe a, uh, no, it was a holder. Snapper. One of those, one of the, the fourth down uh, crew. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that there. We had, uh, we had some guys, uh, one of our guys got a hold of some dye, like some, uh, it was like a blue <laughs> dye and he put it in guys cleats and their jocks and everything. And it was heat activated. So you couldn't see it or whatever when you put your clothes on. But as you started sweating, <laughs> you started turning blue. I don't know. So we, had, we had a bunch of guys out there. It was like, you know, blue dye dripping down their legs. Their feet were blue. It was, it was crazy. Back in the good old days. Nowadays, you hear NFL, yeah. NBA players, you know, the, the older guys, the veterans talking about it. Back then, these pranks were, were real. Nowadays, people oh, yeah. are so soft and they're crybabies. You couldn't do half the stuff you did back in the day. Yeah, they cut all that stuff out, man. There used to be some good rookie hazing. Uh, you know, every time I walked into the you know cafeteria to eat lunch or eat dinner, you know, you'd start hearing the spoons clink on the, on the glasses and they wanted you to get up and sing. So I had to get up and start you know, get on the table and sing my, you know, school fight song or some some crazy song, whatever they requested. So it was just every, every day I had to go to, you know, cafeteria, I'd be dreading it because I'm like, God, I'm going to have to sing in front of the whole team. Man. So they, they, they put you through it as a rookie, but uh, it was all in good fun, though. Like a, like a wedding? They're clinking the glasses with the spoons? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. So you, you brought this up a few minutes ago, but I wanted to get into a little bit more. We got to talk about that first regular season game of your rookie season. So like you said, how we understood it, to be back then the original plan was Ty Detmer was going to come in be our QB for a year or two so you can come in and develop of course we all know as Browns fans that never works out for our franchise none of that stuff ever goes according to plan so down 26-0 at the start of the fourth quarter coach Palmer <laughs> tells you to go on yeah thanks we for up, that Good we time. ended up losing the game <laughs> yeah right we ended up losing the game 43 nothing. obviously right. you got thrown into a, a lose-lose situation there and his press conference after the game Coach named you the starter moving forward. So my question to you about that whole situation is, who wanted to fight Palmer more after that game, you or Detmer? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I, w I was pretty upset because, you know, the plan, you know, to bring me, you know, we were an expansion team, obviously, like we talked about. So, you know, throwing a rookie quarterback and I, I came, you know, I, I left college after my junior year. So I was young, man, uh, inexperienced. So, you know, throw, you know, combine that with a, you know, um, an expansion franchise. It's a, it's a, it's a bad situation. So they were going to bring me along slowly. And, you know, I thought they were going to put me in in spots where, you know, you can come in and have a little success. Um, you know, but they threw me right in, like you said, down whatever it was 26 to nothing in the fourth quarter of a game. Uh, like, here you go, Rook, you know, welcome, you know, good luck with this. Um, so, you know, I get in and just play terrible and obviously frustrated. Um, and it breaks your confidence, you know, because as a young guy, you've had nothing, you know, a lot of success in high school and college and you get to the NFL and you kind of get, you know, get knocked on your butt there in the first game. Uh, but after the game, you know, he told me, you know, he came up and said, you ready to start next week. And I, of course, you know, as a competitor, you're going to say, yes, of course I want to start. 
Um, so I said, sure, you know, I'm ready to go. And, you know, we played Tennessee on the road that second week and, um, you know, went in as a starter. But looking back at it, it, it was, you know, certainly I was not ready to play yet. Um, you know, I don't, you know, if I had a more bet, you know, a team around me that was a little more experienced and, you know, my, my best receiver was a rookie as well, Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson. Uh, so he, we, yeah, we were all inexperienced, man. We we had no, you know, veteran playmakers or anything like that, really. So we were just kind of out there learning, uh, you know, kind of as, uh, as we went as, as young rookies. So um, it, it was a tough situation. But, um, you know, at, at the time, I thought, you know, I was ready to play. But looking back, I certainly wasn't. Looking back at that, though, is it crazy you now to think that up until Baker, you were the last quarterback to actually start an entire season and I, I don't even have to look this up in the in the stats. I know it's it's true. You're the last quarterback to beat the Steelers three times. You know, I think I'm the last one to beat Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh, and that was in a, on a Sunday night game. And um, what was it, 2003 or something? We we beat up. I think we beat 33-13 or something like that. Yep. I had a good game, um, but I think I'm not sure. But I think that's the last time the Browns won in Pittsburgh, which is crazy. Um, you know, Ben. You know, just doesn't lose to the Browns. You know, he's got a great record against you know pretty much all the AFC North. Um, but it's uh, you know we, we had a little success against them. We beat them a couple times, and uh, you know they, they were always a tough team, though man, well coached and very physical, and you know obviously a big rivalry game for for the Browns. I just think people look back at some of those years, some of those games, and you know years years later would would kill for some of that. I mean, hell, we got to a playoff appearance, beat the Steelers. You know that wasn't rare for us back then to do that. So you know it wasn't as bad as maybe some people would look back and say. But I have a question going. You know we talk about your your back surgery and your arm, did you ever, and I guess you could just wink maybe if you want to answer this one way, did you ever consider burning the cars of Dwight Clark, Chris Palmer, or Al <laughs> Lerner for the offensive line they gave you? No, you know, I just um, <laughs> I just didn't understand why, you know, being, you know, coming into, you know, they drafted me number one overall, and I didn't feel like they built the team around me necessarily. You know, we drafted a lot of, you know, defensive players. We drafted Courtney Brown. We drafted Gerard Warren. Um, you know, and I'm kind of looking around like, you know, where's, you know, where, you know, where are the, you know, the weapons, you know, you put, you know, guy number one at quarterback, you need to put weapons around him. And I think the Browns have done a great job with that, with Baker, you know, bringing him as the number one pick and you put guys like Nick Chubb around him, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, Njoku, you got, I mean, you got some weapons over there uh, that he can get the ball to, but, um, you know, I was more frustrated at that. Um, you know, and then, you know, I was getting hit a lot, getting sacked a lot. You know, I think my rookie year, uh, in the, 15 starts I made I think I got sacked 56 times which was an NFL record at the time until David Carr broke it you know later on when the Texans became an expansion team who was also coached by Chris Palmer as well that year when he broke the sack record <laughs> so maybe there's a correlation there I don't know I'm just saying maybe I, maybe. I played I played uh, a game of rec basketball like six months ago and I was sore for like three weeks afterwards this man got sacked 56 times by NFL <laughs> players. Like, I don't yeah, know how I mean, that, still standing. Those first couple offensive lines you had, I mean, it might as well have been me and Raleigh up there snapping the ball to you. Tim Couch is the only player in NFL history to throw two game-winning touchdowns of 50 yards or more with no time on the clock. Flashback, October 31st, 1999. A winless, young Cleveland Browns team is down 14-16 to 16 against the Saints in New Orleans. Browns are on their own 44-yard line with two seconds left. Mr. Couch, can you tell our listeners what was going on through the mind of our hero? Well, I remember being frustrated because that we, we didn't have many chances to win games that year, but that was one game where we had a great chance to win, and we, we had played well, and you know they got the ball late, late in the fourth quarter, drove down and kicked a field goal, and there's only like 
whatever it was, 20 seconds or something left, and we got the ball in our own 20-yard line. I'm like, man, here we go again, another close game. That we, you know, I was like, are we ever going to win a damn game? You know, we were like 0-7 or something up to that point. Um, you know, and then I got a completion on the sideline to play before the Hail Mary. I'm like, all right, well, at least we're in range. I can get it there from here. It's like, a, you know, probably 55, 60-yard throw. Uh, something like that. So um, I knew we had a shot. Uh, I just I just had to get it up in the air. Um, actually got pressure. As soon as I caught the ball, I got pressure off my left side. And I wanted to stay in the pocket and kind of dance around. So I had to really run out to the right and kind of buy time. And it forced me to throw the ball way before the receivers were close to the end zone. So I threw that thing as high and far as I could. And it was one of the best throws I've ever made, honestly. Like I threw that damn thing. It looked like it was going to the top of the Superdome, and it came down, you know, dropped out of an airplane. And oh, it, yeah. It, it came down so soft that when the ball tipped up, Kevin Johnson was right there in the corner to catch it and, and, and tap down. And it was just – I remember as I was running down the field, I'm, like, looking back, like, surely there has to be a holding call or something. This game's getting <laughs> called back. I'm like, did we just win a game? Um, so, so I just I just remember being so excited, man, that, uh, you know, more so that we won a game, but especially in that fashion. You did the same thing against Jacksonville in 2002. Recap, yep. for those listening, paying attention, two 50-yard bobs with no time on the clock, twice. Do you ever flex on your buddies at the bar for that fact, or if you watch someone <laughs> else throw a game winner, like, well, I actually did that twice. Mine were 50-yarders. Yeah, no big deal, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, I remember uh, the one in 2002 was actually very meaningful because that's the year we made the playoffs. And, you know, yep. if we don't win that game, we're not getting into the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, we were down. Um, I can't remember. I got sacked or, you know, something happened. A receiver caught a ball. We didn't have any timeouts left. And we were right at midfield. So we had all the receivers were down the field. So they all had to run back, get set up, snap the ball, and then go back down the field again. And we barely got the uh, snap off with like one second to go. And I just remember I looked. Uh, I, I had one. Somehow they left uh, Quincy Morgan one-on-one on, the, on my right side. And we had three receivers to my left. So I, I just dropped back and looked the safety over to the left to buy a little more space uh, for Quincy to have one-on-one coverage over there. And I hung it up, and he made an unbelievable catch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today, if they were to review that, I don't know if it would have still <laughs> still stood the way, uh, the way the catch rule is now because the ball kind of moved around a little bit. But they called it a touchdown, and, uh, you know, we ended up winning that game. But that, that one was really important and really meaningful just because, you know, we were a good, pretty good team that year. Obviously, we made the playoffs. So that, that one uh, – you know, really kind of propelled us into, you know, having an opportunity to make playoffs. I, I watched that uh, that play on YouTube a couple of times over the weekend. Uh, listeners, you got to watch just YouTube, Tim Couch, Hail Marys. Like, your celebration afterwards, you were so fired up. And it gave oh, me yeah. chills. Like, you were running all over the sidelines, doing the hard yeah. high five. That was that, awesome. And that's actually a great segue. You talked about if they could review the play today. So, Raleigh, why don't you tell Tim the first Browns game you ever attended in person? <laughs> so, I, I grew up in Columbus, and the first game I ever attended was actually Bottlegate. So, a young <laughs> me <laughs> grew up to Cleveland with my best friend and his oh. dad. I'm going to be honest, I was so cold, I wasn't exactly yeah. sure what was going on. I was amazed that they sold beer bottles in stadiums and that they also used beer bottles as projectiles. So, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mucho, why is everyone so bad shit crazy? Anyway, can you walk us through what was going on in your mind from when the refs screwed us and overturned the completion uh, two plays later and the insane yeah. fan reaction? 
That, that was crazy. I think that's uh, – and I've seen some crazy stuff on the field. You know, I saw uh, when Big Zeus went Orlando Brown shoved Jeff Triplett, the referee. You guys remember that when he got hit in the eye with a penalty flag? And yeah. Shoved the official there. Yeah. That happened, oh, yeah. like, right in front of me. And, um, you know, then a couple years later, uh, later um, Bottlegate happens where, you know, I throw a pass. It was um, – I think it was it was fourth and one, fourth and two or something. Um, I throw a pass to Quincy Morgan across the middle. He catches it. They rule first down. Um, I get up and I spike the ball. And as I, after I spike it, they go back and, you know, blow the whistle and say, we're going back to review the previous play. And I'm like, obviously, you can't do that after a play's been, uh, after a play's been run. You can't go back and review it. So they go back and review it and say, he dropped it. No catch. He bobbled the ball. Give the ball to Jacksonville. And I remember as soon as the official, the official said, first down, Jacksonville, I look up in the stadium and there's Bud Light bottles coming from the top deck of the stadium. Um, it, it actually got really scary. I mean, you know, a bottle coming down from that far, man, it, it could, you know, everybody kept their helmets on, obviously, but for the officials, they were just getting drilled with stuff, man. They were, uh, they, they had to get them out of there, police escort. Um, it, it was pretty insane, man. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, it was, uh, it, it was, it was pretty intense situation down the field. It got a little, got a little scary for a moment. When Dawson was on a few weeks ago, he said that people were throwing full bottles of Jack Daniels. And my first yeah. reaction was, do you know what you have to do to get a Clevelander to throw a full body or full bottle of whiskey? <laughs> that's, that's a waste of good liquor, right? I mean, that's just <laughs> it's something else. In 2014, in an interview we did with Peter King, Bruce Arians, who was UFC for the Browns for a few years, for those of you listening, yeah. he called you the most misunderstood player he ever coached. He said your arm was so torn up, you just couldn't play anymore. So yeah. my question is, what was it like hearing that almost a decade after you retired and with all the players he's coached, all the football he's been around. Yeah, Bruce has uh, you know really been a big supporter of mine, and he was he was my offensive coordinator for three years there in Cleveland. Um, you know, my, I had some good times with him. Uh, some of my best numbers I put up. You know, obviously made the playoffs when Bruce was there, so we had some success. Um, you know, but uh, I started getting really you know beat up, and I was injured towards you know towards the end of my you know uh, five years in Cleveland. And my shoulder was really bothering me, and you know they ended up asking me to restructure my contract and. Um, I said no um, because I felt like I, I shouldn't because I'd been through a lot with that team. You know, from starting it as a you know expansion team to where we are now, I felt like I didn't need to restructure. Um, but anyway, they end up cutting me and I'm going to Green Bay. And when I get to Green Bay, my shoulder is really bothering me. And uh, you know, I'm up there and I'm, I'm going to be Favre's backup and hopefully you know take over for Favre after he after he retires. Um, but in training camp, man, my shoulder started bothering me so bad that. I went and saw Dr. Andrews down in Birmingham. Next thing I know, I'm on the operating table, and they're restructuring my whole shoulder. I had a torn labrum, a uh, torn rotator cuff, and a torn bicep. So I can't throw at all. And, you know, so it just it just got bad towards the end there. And, you know, but Bruce, um, you know, Bruce always came to my defense because, you know, obviously when you come into the league as number one pick, if you're not, you know, John Elway or Troy Aikman or somebody winning, you know, two or three Super Bowls, then you're considered a bust. Uh, but, you know, I think it's all about the, you know, situation you're placed in. And, you know, I, I feel confident that the guys that I played with, the guys that coached me, uh, know who I was as a player and what type of person I am. And, uh, you know, for Bruce to come out and speak publicly on that is, uh, you, know, you know, certainly made me feel good. And, uh, you know, that, he's, that he'd be willing to do that and, you know, kind of, you know, just, you know, you, know, you hear all the bus talk and you hear all this and that. But for a guy like Bruce Aries, who's so well-respected to say, no, it's not even – he was not even close to being a bust. He was a good player in a tough situation. That it really means a lot to me. There's a lot of Browns draft picks that we can call bust. That's for another conversation. I don't like the bust war with you. And I think, obviously, looking back now, that's changed for just about everybody. I mean, you were thrown into 
a brutal situation. You were coming into a franchise that is one of the most storied franchises in the NFL, despite the past 20 years in our record there. You came in to a city that was starving for football. We're not going to go through the whole Art Modell side because I'll just get angry. But you came in, I, I, people just expected us to be a championship team from the go, from the jump. Right. With you coming in as a rookie, being thrown into the fourth quarter of your first game. So definitely, people looking back now, you're just thrown into a, a pretty, pretty rough situation, I guess, to start your career off. Yeah, it was tough. And, you know, like you said, um, you know, I think everyone, you know, with, you know, not having a team in Cleveland for a few years, I thought, you know, everyone, when we got back, as, when we came back as an organization, I think everyone just expected us to pick up where Bernie and those guys left off. Mm -hmm. You know, and Bernie and those guys had unbelievable teams, man. They were so talented, um, you know, on both sides of the ball. And, they, you know, obviously going to AFC championship games. And, you know, I think everyone just kind of thought we would pick up where those guys left off. But we were really you know, starting from ground zero, we, you know, we, you know, bringing in guys from other teams, uh, you know, our most, uh, you know, I was a rookie. Our head coach was a first year head coach. Our best receiver was a rookie. Uh, we, you know, we did, we were so young in key positions that, uh, you know, it, it was going to take a while to build that team. And, uh, you know, we were not going to be able to come in and pick up where they left off uh, with Bernie and those guys. And I think people got, you know, a little impatient, you know, and I started feeling the pressure from that, you know, being the number one pick, you know, there, there's expectations that come along with that from, you know, the fans, the media, even even your own teammates, you know, expect you to, you know, play at a certain level and elevate the team. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to do when you're in a situation like being on an expansion team. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was tough, man. It got, to, it got it got rough that first year. You know, you could feel the, you know, fans getting impatient and things like that. But, uh, you know, we ended up getting through it and, uh, you know, having a little success. Yeah, sorry about our psycho fan base. <laughs> and we can do speaking of speaking of media, we can do a whole other. It's no secret to our listeners here. We can do a whole other episode on my opinion of our past and present Browns beat writers, but we'll leave that alone as it is. But you talked about building a team around you and how doing it again around Baker. So you know, I'm sure that you've noticed now that the Browns really only draft SEC players, apparently. So as an SEC analyst and someone who's watched these guys more than any of us, what are your thoughts on this recent draft class and the Browns now being LSU North? Well, I think it's it's not a bad strategy. LSU is pretty daggone good. You know, they've yeah, got some yeah. talented players. So, um, you know, bring those guys in, man. But, you know, the SEC is, um, you know, it's really about speed. You know, the guys in this conference can really run. It's it's fast. It's, it's um, you know, it's very similar to the NFL in that way as far as, like, the interior defensive linemen, the defensive backs, the linebackers. They're, they're really fast in the SEC. They can, they can go. And I think they'll transition well and be able to play as young players. But, uh, you know, I like the draft. I think the, uh, you know, the big tackle they got, um, you know, from Alabama is going to be an excellent player. Uh, obviously, somebody they need to have there for Baker. Uh, you know, on that left side, it's been an, it's been an issue the last couple of years. Kind of, you know, a lot of guys rotating in and out of that spot. So I think he can solidify that that spot, which is key position. You know, for any offense, you know, especially for a young quarterback like Baker. So you know, I like the draft class. I like the direction they're headed, and um, you know, I like the head coach. I think it's I think it's a good fit for, for Baker as well, going out and getting an offensive minded guy like that. Uh, so hopefully, we can uh, you know find a way to use all the weapons that we have. You know, on the offensive side of the ball, they're so talented. Uh, you just got to get those guys, you know, in the right right place and give them an opportunity to go out and make plays. Growing up in Kentucky, who was your favorite NFL team growing up, and why was it the Browns? <laughs> actually, actually, I grew up a Cowboys fan. Um, yeah, I don't know why. Checks but, out. Uh, you know, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah, I was a big Troy Aikman fan, and you know, I guess at the time, and you know, in the '90s, the Cowboys were winning whatever they won three Super Bowls or whatever, and you know, just grew up watching those guys. And uh, I watched a little bit of the Browns, but it was more, you know, Cincinnati where you know, where I grew up. Cincinnati would have been the closest team to me. I wasn't ever a Bengals fan, but you know, I saw a lot of their games just because of, you know where I lived. 
Um, but, uh, you know, mostly I was a Cowboys fan, but, uh, you know, when I, I got to go to a couple games growing up, but, you know, I went to a few Bengals games and stuff like that, but I never, never, uh, never really got to watch the Browns a lot other than if, you know, if it was, you know, I watched obviously the AFC championship games, you know, Elway went down and beat them, you know, you know mostly about, I was about the Cowboys. And now being on the other side of things with us, how do your NFL Sundays look now with the family? Do you have any rituals as far as watching uh, games? Well, I'm certainly watching every Browns game. You know, I still I watch every Browns game. But uh, you know, really, I've got uh, the Sunday ticket package going on. I've got the Red Zone Channel going on one TV, and my kids, you know, they're watching a the game. I've got a game going, so uh, it's a big day. You know, Sundays and uh, at my house, we we get into it. I really really enjoy watching the Browns games, and you know, watching uh, watching Baker play. I'm a fan, I'm a big fan of Baker. I think he's going to be a, a hell of a player. My Sundays are defined by chronic anxiety. Like, do you get? Get nervous watching him, or like, what was your mental process watching him? Yeah, I would say nervous and frustrated. You know, at times, uh, just like every Browns fan. Um, you know, last year was especially frustrating because I felt like they were so talented that, and they just weren't. The, they couldn't put it together. Um, you know, the new coaching staff and you know some new new players on the offensive side of the ball. It's always kind of you never know how that's going to mesh together. Even though they were so talented. Uh, you know, just never kind of seemed like they were on the same page. So that, that was frustrating. But I definitely get nervous watching these games, um, you know, especially, you know, late late in the game. Uh, you know, if it's a, you know, last-minute drive or something, you start, you know, I start to feel the nerves and kind of put myself back in that situation. Like, you can't help, you can't do anything. So you're just watching as a fan. So, uh, but, but yeah, I feel the nerves, man. I pull for them, um, you know, every, every Sunday. And, uh, you know, hope, hopefully this year will be a little better season. Amen to that. You're sitting there like, come on, just throw a 50-yard bomb. I've done it. <laughs> Wins the game. It's easy. I've done it yeah, twice. Right just call Hail Mary, right? Throw it up. <laughs> so, so speaking of Baker, you posted pictures last year of on Instagram, I think, of your kids and Baker during training camp. So was it the first time you guys met? And do you guys have any kind of relationship? I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of parallels between you two. There, there are a lot of parallels. Um, we, we met, you know, when I started calling the uh, Browns preseason games um, two years ago. Uh, that's when Baker's first year. Um, so that, I met him there uh, at training camp, just being out on the field. Um, really just kind of, you know, we've talked, you know, just football a couple times. Really, that's about it. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't talk a lot other than that. Um, you know, I see him at, at training camp, see him, talk to him before the games in the hotels, you know, stuff like that, down on the field before games. That's really about it. Um, but, but there are a lot of similarities between our careers. We both played in the air raid system in college, uh, both came into the league in, as number one picks. Um, you know, so it's, um, you know, I certainly I understand what he's going through coming into a, you know, a situation, um, you know, that he walked into, I think, you know, when the Browns were the Browns 0 and 16 before he got there, right? Yeah. before he got there, you know, so it's very similar to an expansion team. You're walking into a team who's really down, obviously didn't win a game the year before. So and he's kind of thrown in, you know, as a starter right away. But, uh, you know, I, like I said earlier, I think the Browns are doing a really good job of building this team around Baker, um, you know, putting these the wide receivers in place, the running, the running game. They're starting to really shore up the offensive line now. Um, you know, so he, he's got, he's got all the, uh, you know, all the pieces are in place for him to go out and be, be really successful. Notice you haven't obtained the blue check mark of verification yet on Instagram. Do you have any ambitions <laughs> of getting the blue check mark? Of you, I, I'm not very active on, on on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, really. Uh, you know, on Twitter, I may retweet something every now and then. Instagram, I think I post about a picture a year right now. It's kind of my <laughs> kind of my average. So I really don't do a lot on there, so I doubt I'll get verified on it. But uh, I need to get a little more active for sure. I just... I just always kind of forget about it, man. Just go out, just get on there and read stuff or, you know, just following up on some, you know, catching up on some news or some, you know, reading about some NFL stuff. But I really just, uh, I don't get into posting a whole lot of things right now. 
you're a national treasure. The world needs more Tim Couch. <laughs> I appreciate that. I do need to get more into it for sure. I told myself I was going to start doing that this year, but I haven't. I think I posted like two pictures so far. So I don't get graded rookie cards with just anybody, you know. I mean, oh, nice. There you this go. is yeah. So awesome. Beckett graded rookie card. Nothing but <laughs> and tradition is tradition. What is your favorite Mel Gibson movie? Favorite Mel Gibson movie. Um. I'm going to go with Braveheart. You and Phil Dawson think alike. Have you seen the infamous, we talked about this for a few minutes before, the infamous Tim Couch tattoo? It's a picture of a couch with a big number two on some guy's <laughs> bicep. <laughs> I did see that. Somebody sent me an article on it. I guess I guess there was an article in some, uh, I don't know what paper it was, but somebody sent it to me and uh, saw the guy in the, with, with the tattoo on his arm, and i I really couldn't believe it. I think he's like from New York or something, too. He's not even like, uh, like uh, you know, I would assume that guy would live in Cleveland, you know, to put a tattoo of a Browns player on his arm. But I guess he lives in New York or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I saw it and uh, was certainly impressed with the artwork. Are you mad that it's on his arm and not his lower back? <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer it on the arm, actually. <laughs> I mean, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking some time, especially on a Sunday, to sit down with us and, and reminisce and talk about, you know, all things Browns. So I guess before we before we let you go, you know, any final words, any any uh, anything you want to say to the, the listeners and Browns Nation? Any charities you want to plug? <laughs> Business endeavors, anything? You know, I, I think for me, um, you know, I just want to thank the Browns fans for you know supporting me through my five years there, and I wish I wish it could have went you know, a little differently um, as far as, you know, me staying healthy and being a little more consistent. And I could have had a, you know, a 10 year career there instead of five. Uh, but, I, but I really enjoyed my time in Cleveland. Uh, I look back on it with nothing but great memories. Um, you know, obviously we, we had a lot of ups and downs, but, uh, you know, I certainly remember the good times and, you know, making the playoffs and the teammates that I played with and, uh, you know, remember the experience the fans gave me and just, you know, I really enjoyed living in Cleveland. I thought that, uh, you know, it was a great city, but, uh, you know, you know, really that man, I just want to thank the fans for their support and, uh, you know, for still supporting me to this day. I still get messages on you know, social media from a ton of Browns fans. Every time I'm in Cleveland, when I'm up there, you know, for training camp or calling the preseason games, you know, walking through the stadium, you know, fans will, they're, they're nothing but, uh, you know, nice to me, uh, you know, just, uh, and still supportive. So I, I really appreciate that. I've seen people reach out to you on Twitter and ask you if they can mail you something to sign, and you you've done it a few times, just saying, "Yeah, here's yeah. my address, and I'll send it, and I'll ship it back to you." <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I try to interact with the fans as much as much as I can on there. Um, you know, I do get a lot of requests for you know jersey, uh, you know, for signed jerseys or you know signed Sports Illustrated you know copies, or try to uh, you know interact as much as I can with those guys. Yeah, no. So once again, we appreciate you coming on, taking the time. We know you're busy, guys. So really enjoyed having you. You know, hope you and the family stay safe and well the rest of this quarantine, and we'll look forward to seeing you here in Cleveland soon. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, it's Tim Couch. He's my Tim, my Tim, just slinging the ball around. Once again, thank you to Mr. Couch for taking time out of your life. You know, like he said, he's got a bunch of ventures going on right now. He's got a full family. It's quarantine. So really appreciate you sitting down with us for the better part of an hour over the weekend to let us pick your brain about your experience in Cleveland and just being super open and honest about everything. It was a really great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's going to be definitely a reoccurring annual tradition. He doesn't know that yet, but what do you say, Raleigh? Yeah, if you guys are on Twitter, follow him at Tim Couch TV. If you're on Instagram, follow him TC Deuce 2. Just say, hey, Tim Couch, heard you on the Dogs of War podcast, and you're the man. 
one love. And with that, there's nothing more to say. Hell of an interview. Hell of a week. Happy Tim Couch week to all. It's not over yet. We'll still be going. Yeah. Everyone just remember what the spirit of Tim Couch week is about. First, figure out what the spirit of Tim Couch means to you and then honor that code. We don't and know if you do. want, get one of those tattoos we discussed in the interview and make it a lower back tattoo, though. Yeah, definitely make it a lower back tattoo and make sure that you like and subscribe to the podcast. Until next week. Good night, Cleveland.